one of the most influential <clears throat> theologians of our time, Dr. J.I. Packer, went home to be with his Savior just a couple of days ago on Friday after uh, 93 years um, in this earthly journey. And uh, Dr. Packer, uh, certainly a prolific writer, many of you probably know him for his Knowing God, uh, the book that he uh, wrote, most well known for that. Very quotable man. And I ran across this quote yesterday. It was quite encouraging. He said, Doctrinal preaching certainly bores the hypocrites. But it's only doctrinal preaching that will save Christ's sheep. And I was encouraged by that because it's on the Word of God, the truth of God's Word, and what that teaches that we stand. And that's what we submit ourselves to in the preaching of His Word. Trusting the Holy Spirit uh, to speak and work that Word into our hearts, into our lives. So that's what we're going to do this morning. I encourage you to open your Bibles to Joshua, the book of Joshua, if you haven't done that yet. Remembering that the book of Joshua is that link, a link book between the beginning of the great story, Genesis, Exodus, the time that the people spend in Egypt and they're wandering in the wilderness to a life in the promised land. Um, so our focus is going to be on Joshua 7, most of chapter 8 this morning, uh, catching up with Joshua and the people in the conquest of the land. That's the major theme, right? That one word, land. There's crossing into the land. There is the, the taking of the land, dividing up the land, and the uh, finally serving in uh, the land that the Lord has given. And so by chapter 7, Israel is in. They are in the land of promise. Claim their first victory at Jericho. Or maybe we need to rewind and rethink that, because how much credit could the people of Israel take for the toppling of the walls of Jericho? Who's sake? No credit at all. Um, God claims victory. Uh, on behalf of His people, it is Yahweh who uh, drops the walls of Jericho at this, this first stronghold. And because it is the first stop in this conquest of the land, uh, it was a type of first fruits. Uh, everything was devoted to the Lord. It was His. God provides, and so the people return what He has provided by way of purification, destroying uh, the pagan things of Jericho. And there's an important verse in chapter 6, it's verse 18, 618, where the Lord warns the people through Joshua that the camp of Israel, uh, they would be in trouble. Israel would be a thing for destruction if they kept anything devoted to destruction. Um, and so that brings us to chapter 7. We're going to read the first nine uh, verses, um, several other sections along the way. It says, but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. The men of Ai killed about thirty-six of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. 
Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. Oh Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off your name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? How is the Lord going to answer the cry of Joshua and respond to this uh, rebellion? So let's pray and thank the Lord for His Word. Father, we are grateful for this, Your Word, to us. We pray now that the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to You. Lord, we cannot expect to read and understand this Word apart from the working of Your Holy Spirit in us. And so we ask You to speak. Make us attentive now, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, since this uh, pandemic began and the physical distancing that we're all too familiar with by now, uh, sporting events have really been on hold. Um, We have not been able to gather at the stadium or the ball club. Um, In fact, most sporting events haven't even been played. You can't even watch them on television and cheer on your favorite uh, teams. And if you're at all into sports, you know just how quickly things can change. You can be cheering, jumping up and down one moment, The door of victory is just swung open and the next moment you're crying, wondering how you could ever root for such a team. Um, How could this happen? Things are looking so good and everything falls apart. We have a movie at the house. It's about a horse trainer and his family. And this trainer is training this championship mare and she really is at the top of her game. She's winning the races. She's expected to win the, the big derby race. And sure enough, as the race begins, she goes out in front. She leads the entire race in the last 100 yards. Falls with a broken leg. Success, fame, fortune, it was all there. Gone. But you don't have to be into sports to experience this. Every person in this room, at one point or another, has experienced a shift from excitement, success, Thing seems to be going well, you're encouraged, and then the bottom falls out. The unimaginable actually happens. Top of the mountain, and then in the next moment, you're in the lowest valley. Now, this is where we find the people of Israel in Joshua 7. They're excited, they're confident, they're ready to move out and take the land. The Ark of the Covenant is in their midst. What could possibly go wrong? And then the bottom falls out. We're going to look at what happened here, why it happened, um, and what has uh, changed. And so the moment we read verse 1 of chapter 7, which is really a summary of what happened, you know, we take the, uh, you know, the palm of our hand and apply it swiftly to our forehead here. So you go, well, how could this happen? Okay, this is not going to end well, especially in light of what God has said in chapter 6. So Israel controls Jericho, which is in the valley, and so for them to... Uh, to, to conquer and take control of Ai would give them uh, the high ground or give them um, control of the hill country. Um, that was the high ground they needed in order to move north and south. And so Joshua sends out these spies 
uh, get a better feel for a battle plan, and they come back pretty confident, maybe even a little prideful after seeing such a small force. Hey, if we can walk into, into Jericho with God on our side, well, this is small potatoes. Josh will have this done by breakfast. So they go with just a few thousand men. They're routed. 36 men die, and the rest are, are chased down the hill. We don't, we don't read that God provided any direction. We don't even read that Joshua really gave any commands in verses 3 through 5. They go, and they're defeated. Embarrassed by this much smaller uh, city. And in the book of Joshua, this is, the, this is the only recorded defeat of Israel. So what happened? They're confident. They're at the top of their game. God is with them, fighting for them. I mean, this, this doesn't make sense. This is just wrong. It's exactly what puts Joshua and the rest of the elders on their face uh, before the Lord in verses 6-9. through nine. Um, Lord, I don't get it. Why... Why are we here at all? This is embarrassing. and It could be embarrassing for you in this land. You don't get a sense of real repentance on Joshua's part here. He's just flat out confused. Beside himself. Even to the point of questioning, perhaps questioning God's wisdom. This is just wrong. It makes no sense. We've done all that we know how to do. Can you explain this, Lord? We respond this way at times, don't we? When we don't understand, when we've made a decision, we've done all that we know how to do, and we're striving to walk with the Lord in obedience to Him, and yet the bottom falls out. Lord, it's just wrong. What are you going to do for your great name? What does this do for your reputation? What does it do for the life of the church? I was thinking about this response in the church right now and over the last Many years, it wasn't long ago, there was uh, on the front cover of Christianity Today, it asked the question, is this the end of Christianity in the Middle East? And we have seen more blood shed of Christians really in the last couple decades than perhaps ever before. The most persecuted religious group the world over. So it doesn't look good for the life of the church. Even though we're told that persecution would come, that if they hated the Master, they're going to hate His followers. And yet the injustice keeps slapping us. It keeps us overwhelmed. Um, Lord, what will you do for your great name? How does this fit? And it, and it can lead us down that dangerous path to thinking that, well, maybe he's not doing anything. Maybe he's not working. If God is sovereign, if he is strong on behalf of his people, well, then we'd see a different a different headline, wouldn't we? We're going to spiral into this discouragement, this dismay, even feeling quite defeated. So that's where the people of God are here. Um, hearts sunk in defeat. Um, but the Lord provides an answer quite abruptly to Joshua. Let me read verses 10 through 12. The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed My covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more 
unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Um, That sounds harsh. Doesn't it sound rough on God's part? Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. That doesn't sound so tender right here. Um, This is serious. And from the Lord's response to Joshua, he should know it. He should recognize that something is seriously wrong. Sin has entered into the camp. Get up, Joshua. You don't belong on your face right now. You belong in the camp among the people dealing with this sin. And the sin is clear. The covetousness in Achan's heart, it's, it's stealing. That's what it led to. He's stolen devoted things. Which means that he hasn't stolen from Jericho. They, they've stolen from God, are audacious enough to try and hide it. Israel's broken faith with the Lord, contaminated that the holiness of life that God has commanded. He is holy, demands holiness and obedience. And here we are, the second stop in the promised land, and the land's already defiled. And this, I, I think we can, you know, we scratch our heads a little bit here at the language of the Bible, the world of the Bible, because it's so foreign to our experience certainly foreign to the cultural desires so easily uh, you know, come into the church. God says that Israel has sinned. Israel, all the people are included here. Now we know from verse 1, this is just one guy. One guy out of the whole camp took something. Call me crazy, that doesn't sound like a bad percentage. One. And now 36 have died. And people are wallowing in despair. What's, what's going on here? How unfair this is in our minds and in our experience in the land of me. When my decisions are about me and the results of those decisions are about me. And what's best for me is what I decide. This is not the world of the Bible. It's not the life of God's people. Life in Israel was never intended to be about the me. God speaks to a people. He makes covenant with a people, a community. The intentions and actions of one affect everyone else. You know, I've observed this. You all have observed this and experienced this. I was thinking of the classroom setting as a kid. How unfair the classroom setting can be. The teacher lays out instructions and then one person in the class does something dumb or at least tries to you know, bring attention to themselves and everyone in the class has to go heads down or you lose recess because of one person. Actions of one affecting everyone else. As we live together in the body of Christ, our obedience, our disobedience impacts everyone else in the community. And when we have grown, when we've grown comfortable in the land of me, then it will make community and the risk of investment and accountability to others only necessary if it meets my needs. And oftentimes it happens slowly. It can happen quickly. But uh, usually it just takes a little time to walk right out the doors of the church because it doesn't meet my needs. We throw our hands in the air and say, I'm done for whatever reason. When deep in the heart, there's just no room. A little comprehension that the life of God's people, the life of the Christian is much bigger than me. It's much bigger than you. We are not made to be ourselves for ourselves. 
We're made to be ourselves for the body, for the people of God uh, in obedience to Him. So practically then, it, it means that the decisions you make this week, what you do after work, what you do after school when school starts again, in your free time, those choices concern me and the person sitting next to you. We all share in the responsibility of acting in obedience uh, to the Lord. And it doesn't mean that there's a camera and all your private activities. Or you're required to share anything and, and everything in your life. But even your private activities are not hidden from the Lord. They have an impact on the church. And this is what happened here with Achan's disobedience. So by stealing from the Lord, <clears throat> excuse me, he has, in effect, become a Canaanite. So his family, the family of God's people here in Israel, they are now devoted to destruction in verse 12. Sin has brought God's judgment. And Achan's actions here really serve as that pattern for our own sin. A few more verses beginning at 16. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. This is what I did when I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. And I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So he saw, he coveted in his heart, and he took. That's the pattern. That's the pattern of sin since Genesis chapter 3. And we know it. We know it. Adam and Eve knew what they had done. They ran and hid from the Lord, experiencing a shame they had never experienced before. Achan knew exactly what he was doing was wrong. He wouldn't have gone through the trouble of hiding it in his tent. But God knew where Adam and Eve were. Achan cannot hide what he has done from God. We cannot hide our sin from God. He knows our every thought, or every word, or every text message, or every post. But we think we're so good at hiding. It's spread out before him. There's verse 23. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel, and they laid them down before the Lord. Our sin is spread before the Holy One of Israel. Even as I read this passage over and over again this last week, and just praying that the Lord would, would uncover, drive out, Expose the sin in my heart. Pray it would give us pause as a church. Our sin is serious. It entangles us. It brings defeat. If we entertain the lusts of the flesh, even idolatry for a moment, or we keep this attitude of indifference, well, really, it's not, not that bad. There are a lot of other things that are worse. God could give His attention to other more heinous crimes. If that is our attitude and posture, then we will... As our Puritan ancestors said, we will make no progress in the school of Christ. We will face defeat until the sin we love is defeated and purged from our lives in union with Christ. 
When we believe that Christ has defeated sin where we could not. That our lives are now hidden with Him. When we believe that, that sin no longer has power, doesn't have control over us. doesn't identify us anymore. We don't serve our sin. We serve the One who has given us life. So our sin has consequences. There's important tension here, I think, we need to realize. Not all pain, not all hurt, not all weakness is because of sin. And we're blown away by what's, what's happened. The bottom has fallen out. It doesn't prove that we have sinned. It should get our attention. But God's grace abounds in our sin, in the sin against us. It doesn't relieve us of our responsibility of living in obedience to God. Our sin will affect those around us. But there's healing, there's mercy when it is confessed and purged from our midst. So the Lord shows the people what went wrong. Sin that caused so much heartache. And the people return these items to God, to His rightful possession. Achan, along with his entire family, is destroyed so that the people of Israel uh, would be delivered. That's verses 24-26. through 26. Here's a mercy of God to His people in the destruction of this family. Maybe you picked up on the contrast between Rahab and Jericho and Achan here. All of Rahab's family is saved because of her actions. Achan's family destroyed because of his. Again, it's important for us to remember where we are in the story. Or this just comes across as harsh and cruel. I mean, didn't Achan come clean? He confessed after all. Yes, here's all this stuff. He brought it before Joshua and the people. And he's still wiped out. You can remember that occupying the land of Canaan here was a new This is a new beginning, a new era for God's people. They're just starting out as holy, set apart in the land. And right away, there's a breach of covenant. So that's addressed swiftly by God. We see the same thing happen in the New Testament era with the coming of the Spirit. Remember what happens in Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and his wife Sapphira. They lie to God. They sell some property. They keep some of it, but they say they gave it all. Uh, devoted it to the Lord. They didn't make it outside the building. The sin in the young church was dealt with swiftly. It doesn't mean we, we take sin any less serious today. Um, but this is a swift and clean uh, cleansing of Israel uh, so they could return to the battle. So God's desire is that His people be His people first. He wants them to walk in obedience holiness and when they do that when they obey follow him in faith and he provides more than they could imagine let me pick up in verse 26 more section here and they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day and the lord turned from his burning anger therefore to this day the name of that place is called the valley of Achor. and the lord said to joshua do not fear and do not be dismayed take all the fighting men with you and arise go up to ai See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land, and you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. So after the march on Jericho, everything is devoted to the Lord. Now in taking Ai, all the spoil is theirs. There is great abundance in obedience. 
They shall put in their, their faith in God's word and obedience to his, destru- his instruction. As we get into chapter 8, we see something that's, that's really missing from chapter 7. God, whose anger has now turned away from the people, gives assurance. He gives instruction through Joshua to the people on what this battle plan is going to look like. So seeking the Lord, hearing from the Lord, before moving out seems to be the healthiest and wisest course of action. And the Lord may direct in a very different way than He has before. Taking Ai was not the same battle plan as Jericho. Now the people set up this ambush. Um, We're just seeing how the Lord is free to use any number of methods to accomplish His plan in your life, in my life, in the life of the church. He's free to do this. He's personal. So He knows your circumstances and he, He may not respond in the same way to similar circumstances. I may make a decision based on on the Lord's leading, and you in similar circumstances may may move in a different direction. The past seems similar, but the Lord may orchestrate events very differently. All in His perfect wisdom, His love for His people. So the Lord assures Joshua, after everything has gone wrong, that that this has been made right. Do not fear and do not be dismayed. The sin of Israel has been cleansed. There is now great blessing on the spoils of obedience. Brothers and sisters, when our sin is laid before the Lord in confession, we don't fear the stones flying in our direction. We don't fear the earth parting and swallowing us up because the stones have already come. The nails have already pierced the body of Christ for us. Later in the Old Testament, we're given a picture of Israel's rebellion, God's judgment, and the prophet Hosea. Hosea takes this unfaithful wife named Gomer, who represents Israel. Instead of throwing Gomer out, destroying her for her unfaithfulness, God shows mercy. In chapter 2, words that we've heard already this morning. It says, I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. No longer a valley of trouble, but a place of hope and mercy. Jesus has taken our trouble upon Himself. He has gone through the valley of Achor. What Achan received, which you and I deserve, Jesus has taken. That we might have hope. So do not fear. Do not be dismayed. Um, and return to battle. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that You would show us our sin. Forgive us when we try to hide what You can so plainly see in our hearts and our minds. Lord, work a transparency in us that confesses quickly our sin and desires healing to come into your presence and worship once again to be cleansed the blood of Jesus Lord we thank you that now we do not need to fear even though the bottom may fall out and though we may not understand what is happening you go before us you lead us And you delight in us. Lord, may this move us to obedience, to confession, 
to faithfulness. We thank You for Your Word to us. In Christ's name, Amen.